Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now, you remember over in Revelation we were reading about the kingdom of this world passing away. And we know that's where we're going. But we've got to get there, you know. And half the fun is the trip. You know, this is, I'm, I'm telling you the fun part. This is the 25% of your problems I'm not going to solve for you. It's the trip. How we're going to get from there or here to there, okay? In which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. You see, there is a problem. We do have right now present with us a manifestation. No, not that kind. But a manifestation of the kingdom of God. That's the kind of manifestations I like. I like a manifestation where all of a sudden, in the midst of our mess, God breaks through with some kind of supernatural glimpse into the kingdom. All of a sudden, somebody gets healed. I was talking to somebody last night who's preaching tent meetings down in one of the worst sections of Charlotte. And he says they're having people down there delivered from demons all of a sudden. And the next day they come back and they look, they, they have to reintroduce themselves because nobody recognizes them. They just change that much in 24 hours. I love that. I love it when all of a sudden that supernatural breakthrough comes and we have a divine visitation and God's kingdom just kind of goes boom and shakes us out of our preoccupation with what we call normal. Isn't that fun? I love those things. Man, I live for those things. I like that stuff. But we do live in a world where there is a present manifestation of the kingdom of God. I see it in your lives. I see it in this church. But at the same time, there is also present evil in this world. There are bad things that happen to innocent people in this world. And we have some resistance in our lives. But we also have been given the power of God to overcome those things. I'm going to read on a little bit here in, in Ephesians. But now, let's, let's, let's turn over to Ephesians 6. I'm going to skip that two-part. I've got to hurry. Ephesians 6, verse 10. You know, there, there is evil in the world. There is a kingdom of darkness around us. You know, people say, well, if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? Well, God's not the one doing it. Duh. Sin creates suffering. God doesn't create suffering. Unrighteousness in sin causes people to suffer. Our challenge is to present the gospel of the kingdom and to demonstrate it with signs and wonders and miracles in our lives to the point that we do away with pain and suffering and all of those things that hinder us and hurt us. In 
and that's why we got this whole thing it says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then I'm not going to read the whole passage here. You've heard it a quadzillion times, you know, about the, the armor and putting it all on and fighting against the darkness of spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But, but what I want to do is skip on down to verse 18 there. And it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. In other words, the reason that you're supposed to have this spiritual armor and the reason that we're supposed to fight against these, this force of darkness, uh, it, it, the reason we've got this armor is so that we can do what? Okay? And, and that, that's what he's talking about. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. There's that gospel of the kingdom thing again. For which I am an ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was, was in chains. He was in prison, but he was not focused on himself. You see that in verse 20? He was sitting in prison and his primary concern was not that, oh, would you guys please pray that I get out of jail? That's not the focus of the armor. What he was telling them to do was to focus outwardly. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me a prophetic word, and with my short-term and long-term memory difficulties, it's amazing, and I know that something is the Lord if I remember it for very long. And this is one of the things that He said to me about 20 years ago that I still remember. So that's got to be God. He said, Christians were made for warfare. Choose this day where you will fight. Take the battle outside the camp and engage the enemy there, or you will turn in amongst yourselves and fight amongst yourselves until you are scattered. Self-centered people are very rarely happy for very long. Self-focused people, we, everybody knows this. Uh, you know, you, you, you think, the, 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 forgive me girls, I'm going to pick on girls for a second. The, the most stereotypical thing is a beautiful young girl who is so enamored with her own physical appearance that she is just so stuck up nobody can stand her. Nobody here is like that. But that's sort of a stereotypical image. She is so in love with herself that, you know, she's wasting her life. That same girl, if she was giving and compassionate and concerned about others, it would increase her beauty rather than diminish her beauty. You see what I'm saying? Now, most of us, or at least I have been more plagued with the other extreme, where we don't think enough about ourselves. We think, oh, I'm so pitiful. You know, I'm unworthy. I'm this, I'm that. There's a lack of self-confidence. That's still self-centered. That's still self in the middle. 
whether you think good about yourself or bad about yourself, it's still self. So we've got to get free from that. We've got to change it from a self-focus to a kingdom focus. Paul here was focused outwardly. Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God. Turn real quickly over to Luke 12. I'm going to have to quit preaching and just tell you this stuff because I'm never going to get to the end of it if I don't. This is one of the most famous passages and, you know, people turn it into a bunch of poetry and deep spiritual things and you've got to have violin music in the background with it and all that. But it says in uh, Luke 12:29, it says, And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink and do not keep worrying. All right, now here comes another hand raiser. How many of you worry? Tell the truth, shame the devil now, come on. All right, just remember this. Remember if you raised your hand for problems, remember if you raised your hand for worries, we're going to get to rid of about 75% here. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of self and the kingdom of darkness are very closely associated. You can do the right things for selfish motives, and it's wrong. The kingdom of darkness is quite aligned with the kingdom of self. And self-focus leads to a fearful life. I don't know if I've got time to make this transition. You may just have to believe me about some of this. If I, if I could spend another 30 minutes, I could prove to you that that's the truth. When you worry about yourself, when you're focused on yourself, it will invariably lead you to a fearful life. When you are focused on others, courage wells up within you, and you do superhuman feats. Did you hear about that little boy got his arm gnawed off by a shark? His uncle grabbed a seven-foot shark by the fins and gills and wrestled that sucker onto the shore. Shot it in the head and reached down its throat and got an arm out. <laughs> then they took it to the heart. What would cause a man to attack a shark? What would cause a man to have the presence of mind in that kind of a situation with blood in the water and a screaming nephew to even have the clarity of thought to know, hey, I need that arm. I'm going after it. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about a boy he loved. And so that lifted him up to another level of existence, didn't it? He performed what we call heroism. It's time for acts of heroism in the kingdom of God. It is time that the focus of the church be not so much what we can get out of God, but what we can do 
to present God to those who are dying in their sin. In Numbers 13, 14, there's that famous story. You know, God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them up to the edge of the promised land. This is a short version. And they said, oh, we can't go in there. They're giants over there. We're like grasshoppers. They think we're grasshoppers. We think we're grasshoppers. So they turned out to be grasshoppers. Because they were thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about the Lord. See, fear entered in. When you focus on yourself, fear is the inevitable consequence of that. All fear is based on a lie. All fear. Now listen to me. Write it down. Chew on this one while you're taking a siesta this afternoon. All fear is based on a lie. If you deal with the lie, fear will die. That's not original. That's a quote from Arthur the Burt. But it is true. You can bank on it. I promise you it works. Just yesterday, I was sitting out on the front porch, and we had this huge spider web. Have y'all been having a lot of spiders lately? Man, I don't know. This, this, this must be the best spider season on record. We have this huge spider web, and so Kathy comes out there with a broom. That's her kitchen broom. She looks at the size of that spider web, and she says, no, I ain't going to get it with this one. So she goes back and gets some old ratty broom, and she comes back out there. So she starts whacking away. And while she's doing this, she's whacking away, and she says, I wonder how long it'll take that spider web to come back. And I said, until you kill the spider. That spider's got to eat. That, that web is the only way he's got to eat. He's going to build that thing back. You could tear it down a hundred times, and he's going to build that web back in that corner because it is a bug-infested corner. It's right by the front porch light, and he likes it there because all the mosquitoes and beetles come over there. You know? You've got to deal with the lie, and then fear will die. You've got to get rid of that which you are thinking that is not gospel thinking. You've got to totally get out of the realm of your little self-constructed boxes. And fear will die in your life. It will go away. Romans 14.23 says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. Freedom from worry begins when you change your focus. When you stop thinking about yourself. You know, all of us were afraid of the dark when we were kids. Boys aren't supposed to admit that, but I was afraid of the dark. And I'm a boy. Always have been one. Plan on always being one, by the way. But I was afraid of the dark. Why are you afraid of the dark? Because there's unknown things out there that you think might hurt you. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what all fear is? Isn't all fear believing something's going to hurt you, something's got control over you, something that bad is going to get you? Well, love is the remedy for that. You see, perfect love casts out all fear. Freedom will come when we learn to think outside of our self-made box. Freedom from the church will come when we learn to think outside of our self-constructed box. 
These walls, this parking lot, does not define the perimeter of the church. The reason the church is still so full of so many problems is because we're thinking, this is it. We're it. I'm it. We don't really have a kingdom vision. See, God so loved the world that He gave. God's not fearful. God's not afraid Satan's going to win. He knows it's not so. He gave unconditionally the price for the pearl. I don't know if you're going to be able to make this big transition with me. Freedom will come when you have a vision for others rather than yourself. I'm promising you the problems will melt away. Yes, you'll have a little bit of resistance, but they won't be the focus of your heart. They won't be what you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth now. How many of you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, is not 99% concerned about self-worrying issues? What do we pray about? We get out our little worry beads and we start counting them. Oh, Lord, do something about this. Oh, Lord, do something about that. Oh, Lord, this is terrible. Would you do something about that? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what we pray about? We take out our petition list and what we think's wrong and asking God to straighten out what's wrong in our own circumstance. I'm telling you, there is a need for a huge paradigm shift in the church. We need to think outside of our box. We need to see that this kingdom gospel is for us and that we're supposed to live it. We're supposed to get on our horses and ride. If you will do that, if you will stop thinking about your own problems and think, how can we take this city for Christ? How can we go? I mean, just look at We got a bunch of businessmen that have had enough faith to rent the football stadium at the high school and are praying for 4,000 guys to show up down there. And, that, and then we're going to have a breakfast and a march because we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're ready to go on the offensive and we're ready to see the kingdom of God manifested in this town instead of all of our worrisome problems. And you want me to tell you something? That's the best kind of spiritual warfare I know about. Stand up on your hind legs like a banny rooster and do something about it. That sounds like works. I didn't mean for it to sound like that. But we need to think outside of our box. Okay? Problems. We worry about our problems, right? Okay? I'm, this, I don't know how to get there this quick. But I'm telling you, I really believe the Lord has shown me this. That if you will make as the object of your heart the kingdom of God and extending the kingdom of God to others rather than worrying about all of your needs... What Jesus can do for me, I'll guarantee you problems will go away. Because God will act on your behalf. I promise you it'll work. I, I don't know how to say it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an experiment. I got saved on an experiment. I believe in experiments. I'm just scientific enough to believe in experiments. And I'm going to challenge you for an experiment. This won't take long, then we're going to take communion. I'm sorry. We're going a little long here. 
I want you to change your focus. This is the great experiment. I asked Jesus into my heart as an experiment. I told that old guy, Otis Reader, I said, all right, I'll try this, but if it don't work, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do to him. But, but I was honest about it, and it worked. It's been 31 years. So I want to put out an experiment for you. I want you to pray for five neighbors when you would normally be counting your worry beads. I want you to pick out five houses in your neighborhood. You can get one on either side of you and three across the street. That's something you can see from your front porch, most of you. Just pick five neighbors. Whenever you feel the urge to start worrying or fretting before the Lord, and that really is what most of our prayer life is about. We get in front of God and fret. Now, I'm just going to challenge you for a month. Just do it for a month. Please, just a month. Give me till the end of August. We're nearing the end of July. What I want you to do is I want you to pick out five neighbors, and for one month, every time you feel that urge to worry about your own problems, I want you to begin to pray for those five neighbors instead of worrying about what they're thinking about you. Pray for them. Pray God would bless them. Pray that the Lord would appear to them. That they'd have dreams and visions and, and miracles in their life. Just try it for a month. I'm just going to ask you, do me an experiment. And then, and then at the end of the month, a lot of these problems that you're worried about today are still bothering you, then you can stone me with small, you know, maybe aquarium gravel or something. But just start praying for five neighbors every time you think you ought to be worrying about your problems. And expect God to do something to open the door, a divine appointment for you to talk to them about the gospel. You'll be surprised. If you start talking to your neighbors, all of a sudden your neighbors will stop being friendly to you. I had some problems when I was building my house with one of my neighbors. My mud kept going over on his lawn, washing down the hill and getting all over his lawn. And they had some difficulty with me, really. But, I, you know, they were getting sort of picky. The other day, this guy comes over to me and says, uh, I, I know you're going on a trip to Africa soon because we've been talking. He says, you know, if you need me to, I'll cut your lawn while you're gone. You don't think that's a miracle? You didn't hear the previous conversations. God will work. He will begin to do things for you. He'll begin to open up doors for you to talk about the Lord to your neighbors. Start praying for them. Start thinking about what they need. Start thinking about demonstrating the kingdom of God to them rather than letting your mud wash on their grass. You know? Ask them if they need some help from God about something. And when God answers their prayers, when they come back to you and say, you know, the Lord really helped me, say, the kingdom of God is near at hand. You've seen the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to do that, okay? Does that sound hard? Does anybody want to do that? Now, don't raise your hand unless you're going to do it now. God's watching. You going to pray for five neighbors? Anybody in here going to pray for five neighbors? Come on now. Come on now. And it'll work. And I'll guarantee you, a month from now, you'll have less problems than you have. Okay? That's all. The end.
Well, let's take communion. And let's focus on the Lord instead of ourselves. And then I'm going to just today what I what I want to do is 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 I would I would ask as we take communion, and uh, if we could just have some music um, going, that you could really focus on the Lord, and just receive Jesus and 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 let Him be your focus. And then, as as we're taking communion. Um, some may want to continue worshiping a little bit, or if you'd like prayer, you could come up and the prayer team can pray for you. But if you want to talk, I'm going to ask you just to go out in the foyer or outside to talk. And we'll just have this for those that are still taking communion and worshiping and seeking prayer. Okay? I just want to um, have a confirmation of what he says about praying for your neighbors. Uh, we have this commitment with Noah that we, we go around our neighbors and you know our neighborhood and we start praying for them since we move in there. And the funny thing is um, a couple that was living in our complex where we were living before in this apartment complex, they move in the same neighborhood where we're living now. And we were praying for them before and 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 then um Noah woke up to them and just said, hey, how you doing? So you're living here now? And they say, yeah. And it was, you know, we were praying for them so they would know the Lord. And, um, of course, they're, you know, they're Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff. And they came before to our house and talked to us. And we have a talk with them about the Lord. But then last night I walked to my other neighbor in the corner. And I started talking to him about um, his, you know, very depression situation. He... He just is lonely and have nobody. And I went home and several times. And last night I was talking to him. And I said, you know what? There's somebody who really loves you. And he said, really? I said, yeah. And when you see me walking with my wife out here, we're praying for you. I just want you to know that. And he just started crying. You know, and he said, uh, I really thank you for that. And he said, when you, when you leave, uh, when, whenever you go on vacation... I want to tell you, I'm watching your house. Anything that you need, I'm there for you. Just hold on me, I'll be there. And, you know, I just want to tell you, God, God is, cares for your neighbors. And it's just sometimes we just have this attitude that it really is not a godly attitude towards them. But if you start praying, things are going to start happening. And they will see, it's like they can feel this blessing coming on them. And he said... You are one of the best neighbors I ever met in my life. So I just want to encourage as, as we're sharing communion, we're going to ask you to come down the center aisle and then go this way and that way so we can, you know, have a flow going here. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus, your most prized possession, to purchase us, Lord, to redeem us from our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you value us highly, so highly that you gave your best. So this morning, Lord, as we share the bread and, and the fruit of the vine, Lord, we ask that you would make Jesus real to us and that you would make Jesus' kingdom vision real in our hearts. 
For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. to me.